The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Any, anybody's feet a little dusty? It's fun to be a part of a church that stuff's happening. Amen. Well, if you don't like the dust, I'm sorry. I appreciate your patience and flexibility, but things are happening here, and I'm so thrilled that we get to be a part of it together. Uh, and so thank you for your willingness to be gracious, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a whole lot of logistics and moving parts. We even lost an auditorium door and got it back. So uh, it's just fun to be a part of what God, what God is doing here. Uh, and so I would encourage you to continue, even as Pastor Nick and Pastor Ryan have said, pray, lean in, and be a part of the incredible miracle that God is doing here at the Grove. Um, my name is Aaron. If I've not had the chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors on staff. I've been here for about 11 years. Uh, just celebrating my 11th Grove anniversary is what we call it, uh, on August 16th. And you're better because of it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm better because of it. Uh, I love being a part of this team, and I'm so humbled to still be a part of it. Um, we're going to wrap up today. I'm the closer uh, for this series. We're wrapping up the series in Revelation where we're exploring the conversation uh, that Jesus is having uh, through John written to the churches in Revelation. And we're going to hang out with the church of Laodicea today. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be hitting verses 14 to 21. Uh, and so you can read along with me here in just a minute. Uh, some of you may be familiar with my story, uh, or at least portions of my story. Some of you may not be. Uh, but to give you the quick Reader's Digest version, uh, I grew up in a Christian household. At five years old, I remember giving my life to Jesus. Uh, I don't remember all of the details behind it. I just remember doing it uh, and understanding the hope of the gospel and saying, I want to be a part of that. Uh, I wanted God to change my life. At eight years old, I got baptized by my dad in my church in Virginia where the baptismal was actually in the stage and they pulled off a lid. And I remember standing in like the baptismal was like barely to my chin so they could just see my head floating on the stage. Uh, and and I, it was an incredible moment to where I still have vivid memories of it today. For the next seven-ish years, uh, I was in church for a while. Uh, Sorry, I hear ringing, so it's kind of, I know they're working on it, so thank you for bearing with us in that one too. Uh, but I remember over the next seven-ish years, I went to church, uh, but I, I would do what, I, I would live the way that I would call is lukewarm, uh, meaning it was a little complacent, it was a little apathetic, and some of that is just based upon age. I didn't really know what it meant to live a transformed life to my neighbors, to my friends, and to my family. Uh, but I, it, was, it was lukewarm, and in this tension of lukewarm, I remember reading the book of Revelation years ago, and thinking through the lens of the rebuke that Jesus gives to the church of Laodicea is this idea of being hot or cold. He, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's the, the text that we're reading through today. And we view this t term of lukewarm as a negative thing, as a, and it should be, we should understand it, but we also view the idea that we should be hot for Jesus, if I can say it that way without being too weird, um, but we should be on fire for what the gospel has presented in my life and in your life, that that's the picture. We don't want to be cold because we view it in contrast. That's not entirely what Jesus is saying today. He's challenging the lukewarmness and he's referring to how our lives should be responsive because of the gospel to the world around us. And that's what we get to hit today. Uh, and I think it's really important to, to know the differences here so we can continue to live uh, in a way that is not just honoring God, but is transformative to the communities we're a part of too. So I want to read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 22, and then I'll unpack the passage and share a few thoughts. It says this, Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, a simple reminder, 
The, the angel is referring to the leader of the church in Laodicea. So write to the leader of the church in Laodicea. Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Here's the, here's the rebuke. You're welcome. You're welcome to wrap up the series on a rebuke. But uh, it's really encouraging, really challenging too. It says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy gold from me refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed. An ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Verse 20 says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And verse 22 says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray today for God's word. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, you are the word. God, you are the fulfillment of God, of the word. And so we thank you today. We can hear from you. I pray that you would give us uh, an understanding and discerning spirit to discern what you're saying to us individually, but also to us as your body of Christ. I pray that my words would fade to the background and Lord, that your words would take priority and take, take the center stage and that you would challenge, encourage, and build us up to continue being everything you dreamed of when you created us. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your truth today. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. So the church of Laodicea is a church in, in Asia Minor, positioned between two cities, but it starts off with this tension of a rebuke. And it comes from the authority given to Jesus. It says, from, right to the letter, right to the leader of the church, the, it says the amen. Thus says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. These are, in essence, giving the stamp of authority to Jesus, who is the Son of God, who rose, died again, even as we reflected in communion a little bit ago, this is giving him the authority because when it comes to the amen, we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul is telling the church of Corinth that Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise of God. That Jesus is, the, the, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so it's this picture of fulfillment. Everything God promised, everything God desired, everything God wanted to do, he fulfilled and accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven so that the Holy Spirit can then come alongside each and every one of us as we walk out this journey that Christ is walking with us and calling us to. So he's not only the amen, the fulfillment, he's also the faithful and true witness. In other words, we can trust and rely on what he says. He has the authority to speak to the churches and to the church of Laodicea. And so it's a reminder of who he is. And then the originator of God's creation is a callback to the simple truth that he existed before the creation ever started of the universe as we know it. That he was present. He was the originator. He was the one that helped bring to existence everything we enjoy now in all of creation. And so it's a, it's a stamp of approval and authority to say, this is who I am as I'm speaking to you. Remember who I am. And it continues on. He says this, I know your works. And the works that he's referring to are, in essence, the byproduct of your life and my life as it relates to the transforming power of the gospel. Or is the way we live our lives reflecting the goodness and faithfulness and power of God? That's the works that he's referring to. 
Because as followers of Jesus, that's what we're called to. Faith without deeds is dead. We see this in James. So the challenge that, that Jesus is calling out the church of Laodicea for is their works. And then he says this about it. I wish you were cold or hot, so be, but you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, this picture is not meant to be pretty. This picture is not meant to be a, a private moment where sometimes you're sick and you go into a bathroom and you shut the door and you, your body expels whatever is sick inside of it. It's, this, it's meant to be a picture that catches their attention. Because in Laodicea, here's the, here's the truth. Laodicea is a city that's primed in the middle of Aeropolis and Colossae. And both of these cities that it's positioned in between of are known for different types of water. See, Colossae is known for its cold, refreshing water. It's known for its invigorating, refreshing water. Aeropolis is known for its hot springs. Hot springs are meant to be therapeutic. They're meant to be warm. They're meant to be healing, provide restoration. Laodicea's water was filled with like this high uh, percentage of carbonate which then when they would drink it, they would then become sick. So Jesus is using a, a, a physical location as an example of what, they, what he feels and what he sees as he's evaluating their works. You're just like the water you have. You're not healthy. You're not useful for anything. See, the cold water was in. If you've ever worked on a hot day and you wanted a nice ice cold glass of water, it's the most refreshing thing in all the world. Remember back in the day, the ice bucket challenges? That's cold water. We, uh, about 11 years ago, one of the first things that Pastor Nick told me I had to be a part of, he didn't really tell me this, he invited me to join him on a hike up to Vesper Peak, which is Headley Pass. It's an incredible hike. It's a hard hike. And back in the day when I was a lot more in shape, I was able to do the hike. And we got up to this spot where there was a glacial lake. And he decided, along with a couple of the other guys that were with us, he said, hey, let's go jump in that lake, that little pond. And in my, in my adventurous spirit, I said, no, nah, I'm good. You go. I'll record it. And I had my phone and I recorded it. And I remember watching these three guys who were going running and taking a big old cannonball into this water and come out screaming like little girls because they were so refreshed and invigorated by this cold water. But the reality is, like, that's what cold water is meant to do. It's supposed to be invigorating. It's, there's the, the cold bath trend right now where everybody's submerging themselves in these cold baths. No, thank you. I like my 98 point, or I guess my 97.8 degree body temperature. I don't need to drop it down to a certain cold temp because it's, that's not what God intended. He would have made me cold-blooded, right? But there's something about this, this trend and there's something about being immersed in cold water that is actually rejuvenating and invigorating and it causes your blood to pump and wake you up. It's, it's this incredible thing. Jesus is comparing the works of the Laodicean Christians that were lukewarm to what should be invigorating to the world around them. He didn't stop there. See, the hot springs in Aeropolis carried with it restorative healing properties. The closer I get to a new decade of life as I'm pushing 40 this year, I'm realizing the need to take care of my body a whole lot more. I've never taken more Epsom salt baths in my life <laughs> than I have this last year. And now here's the deal. I've not gone to the extreme of like candles and rose petals and bubbles and my Chardonnay or my rosé or whatever the wine in the glass is there with some Kenny G music. I've not done that. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about because that's great. I have no problem with that. I'm not, there's no shade thrown. But I just understand the value and I'm learning what Epsom salt can do in helping me relax and my muscles calm down because sometimes my muscles hate me. And the reality is the hot springs were meant to be healing and therapeutic. They're meant to be restorative. Jesus is saying your, your acts, your works as a, as a Laodicean Christians is lukewarm. It's not cold and refreshing like it should be. Attractive and alluring and life-changing. It's not healing or therapeutic or comforting. Like a follower of Jesus' life is meant to be. Scripture tells us very clear to weep with those who reap, with, rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus is point blank saying your, your, your life is lukewarm. The water in Laodicea, it's useless. If you drink it, you're going to be sick. Jesus is in essence saying, because your acts are lukewarm, it makes me sick. Because I created you for purpose. I created you to be a light shining in the darkness. I created you to be the hope in the midst of hopeless situations. I created you for a purpose. And you're not living in alignment with that truth. You're off the rails from what I intended you to be and where I intended you to go. That's the tension at play here in this, in this chapter and in this section as Jesus is calling out the Laodicean Christians. It makes me then wonder, man, what does that mean for my life? Because if I can be totally transparent and vulnerable for a second, I don't always live up to being invigorating or comforting. I, at times in my life, get caught up in my own world in my own selfish motives, in my own selfish agendas. My wife has been reading these different books about hospitality and how do we love each other because John 13, 35 says, they will know your mind by the way you love each other. That love that Jesus is describing is inconvenient. That love that Jesus describes when it comes to me personally is not always what I want to do. So there are times in my life where I'm lukewarm because I'm useless for the kingdom. Matthew 28, 19 reminds you and I what our purpose is meant to be, where he says, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples. It's not just let me tell you about Jesus, but let me walk alongside you and help you navigate this difficult life with the truth and the hope of the gospel. That's what you and I are called to do. That's not a pastor's job. That's one of my jobs. One of my, my job title here at the Grove is business administration and discipleship. I refer to myself as the bad pastor because B-A-D, I like the acronym. But discipleship is a big part of what I, I have a passion for. And I want to sit down and talk through life and wrestle through the gospel. And what does it mean for everyday situations that you and I are facing today? We're called to go. There's purpose. There's a plan. There's, there's a rail that God is calling us to go on, and he's asking us to make sure that our life is reflecting the hope and the glory, the invigorating truth of the gospel, and the comforting presence of a Savior who meets us in our worst moments and our most grief-stricken things. That's what we're called to be. But the church of Laodicea was not measuring up. So as any follower of Jesus should do, we should be asking why questions. Well, why did the church of Laodicea become lukewarm? Because here's the reality. This is a church. This is a gathering of people who have heard the gospel, who have responded to the gospel, and are gathering together on purpose 
to sharpen and encourage and build each other up so they can be everything God intended them to be. That's what the purpose of church is meant to be. It's not a spectator sport, right? I'm not here rah-rahing so I get your applause and you leave and have a great rest of your life. I'm here to remind you and me the power and the need of the gospel for our community so we'll go out and be a light in the darkness. So the church in Laodicea, I would argue, was no different. They were gathering for a purpose. So what caused them to be lukewarm if they've encountered the gospel, the same gospel that you and I have encountered, the same gospel that we got to celebrate a couple weeks ago of 37 people confessing publicly through baptism that they want to live for Jesus the rest of their life. Like, what, what, If they're compelled by the gospel, what caused them to become lukewarm? And I'm thankful Jesus answers that because he says this in verse 17. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. See, here's the thing about Laodicea. Because it was in the, it was in the middle of two incredible cities in Colossae and Aeropolis, it got a lot of the trade benefits from both. Laodicea was, was well known for its banking industry. It was well known for its medical industry. Well, they had one of the, one of the first primary optometrists that existed in, in the medical world. They had people knowing how to navigate the human eye, which is remarkable and incredible in and of itself. But that's one of the things they were known for. They were also known for their fashion. Because they were positioned between two incredible communities and cities, they benefited from it. In AD 60, there was a massive earthquake. I know we care about AD 60, but there was a massive earthquake back in the day that destroyed the city. The Roman government had a lot of fun and really valued the, the, the city of Laodicea. So they were going to come and help rebuild the city from this massive earthquake that created destruction. But because Laodicea was such a wealthy community, they actually refused and probably rejected the help of the Roman government, saying, no, 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 we've got it. We don't need you. We're not interested in your help because we've got it covered. And they did. They rebuilt the city themselves. They didn't need the Roman help. They rebuilt it themselves. They were a wealthy city. So in turn, they had no desire, no need for help or support. They could do it themselves. That was Laodicea. Jesus continues in verse 17 and says this, And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. These statements were indirectly aimed at the very things that they had boasted and had confidence in themselves. See, they didn't have a need for Jesus. They didn't have a need for him to provide or care for them because they were wealthy enough to care for themselves. The culture of the city began to infiltrate the culture of the church. And they began to drift to the point where they became off the rails and became lukewarm. See, the city was rich. When I'm rich, I don't have a need for someone else to help me with. That's exactly what Jesus was directing and challenging the church of Laodicea, is that you don't realize you're wretched, you're blind, you're naked, you're pitiful, you're poor. You don't know. And it's interesting, one of the commentaries that I was reading as I was prepping and studying this passage, is they say this, that the real challenge is not so much the indifference, but the issue was their ignorance of their real condition. See, the very wealth that they had to provide and cover and care for themselves blinded them, made them ignorant to their actual spiritual need. 
they didn't realize that there was a very massive gap, spiritually speaking. So Jesus' response in verse 18 says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you may be rich, white clothes so you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see the very things they put their hope in, their wealth, their clothing, their optometry, were the very things that Jesus was saying, you need to come to me for those provisions because what I have is far greater for you and far better for you for eternity than what you're putting your hope in now. It reminds me of Matthew 6, verses 24 to 35, where Jesus is talking and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount to those who are sitting on a hillside. And he says this in Matthew chapter 6, he said, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't seep or sow, they don't seep, they don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? See, some of you need to hear that today. Because there's beautiful, majestic birds flying all around, eagles that I've seen down at Lake Stevens when I'm hanging out with my kids at Lending Park or even in Tulela Bay when we're working iHeart and seeing these gorgeous creatures like eagles. Beautiful colored birds, hummingbirds floating in my backyard or my neighbor's yard. And Jesus is saying, they don't worry about where they're gonna, how they're going to live, how they're going to eat, because God provides. Aren't you more valuable than they? He doesn't stop there. He says, and why, he says this, which I think is a verse that all of us should be underlining. He says, can any of you add one moment to your life, to your lifespan by worrying? Can anybody? The rhetorical question is answered with a no. But then he continues and says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. This tension is the same tension being played out in Laodicea, where their desire, where their pursuit has been on their own ability to provide, their own wealth, their own fashion, their own clothing, their own ability to care and provide and protect and, and strengthen and heal their bodies. The Gentile culture in Laodicea was seeping into the church where the church began to pursue the same things and miss out on what Jesus is trying to tell us all throughout the entirety of Scripture. I am enough. I will provide. Seek me. And this is what he says in verse 33 of Matthew. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Now, this doesn't mean that I get to wake up on, on a Monday morning and, and read my Bible, say, okay, God, I'm waiting for you to put my clothes on. That's weird, right? That's weird. Because God has given me the wisdom and the ability and the strength to do so. 
God has granted me the mind and the capability of doing that very thing. But if my first priority is, well, what fashion things am I going to wear today? If my first priority is to examine my life and say, man, I really need to do this or to do that and not submit first to Jesus, I'm missing it. I'm beginning to drift. And we've got to be on guard because when we start drifting, if we don't correct quickly, we become off the rails faster than we realize. Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the things that you need, Aaron's paraphrase, the things that you need will be provided for you. Verse 34, another verse that we should probably underline. I think verse 33 should be too. We could put that on a pillow and put it in our living rooms. It's already been done. But verse 34 says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And everybody said, amen. Each day does. But Jesus is the source. He's the one that provides. God is the one who's faithful. Where is there a deficiency in your life that you need Jesus to show up? Because he wants to. Sometimes we're action first and prayer second. That's the, that's the guilty reality of my life. There's an issue at hand. Well, I got to figure it out. Let's go. Like I gotta, and sometimes it's a matter of like, no, stop. I gotta, God, what do you have? God, what do you need? God, what do you want from me? But we sometimes will all pull my, myself up by my bootstraps. I'll, I'll get it done. That was Laodicea. I'll take care of it. I don't need anybody's help. We're wealthy. I've got clothes. I've got an autometrist. They'll take care of me. The very things they put their hope in, Jesus is saying, those aren't good enough. You're going to lack. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This causes to trust in the true provider alone. See, the way to counter lukewarmness is to recognize the deep need that we have and that it can only be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus doesn't stop there. Verse 19, he says, and I rebuke those I love. If anybody's a parent in here, you kind of understand this. I don't discipline my kids because I'm mad at them and I don't like them. I don't discipline, even though their attitudes don't reflect Jesus sometimes. And I'd love to say they learned it from the enemy, but I'm pretty sure they learned it from me at times. But, but I don't discipline them because I, I can't stand them. I don't discipline them because I'm angry at them. I discipline them because I want them to be incredible individuals that God intended them to be when he created them. When he blessed me with the children I have, with the Abigails and the Gideon and the Esther. Like, I, I want to rejoice and I want them to be everything God intended. I want them to have hope and identity and purpose secured in Jesus and Jesus alone because I've lived without it and I'm living with it and I don't want them to wander away from it. I don't discipline them. The root of discipline, by the way, is, is disciple, which means to teach or train. My job as a parent is to teach or train my children in the way that they should go. And the promise of that verse is that when they're older, they won't depart. And I hate to say it, but sometimes there's a gap between the teaching and the training and when they're old enough to where they won't depart. But the challenge is I want to teach and train my kids because I love them, not because I hate them. That's the reality of, John, of verse 19. And because of the love of a father, he says this, so be zealous and repent. The picture that he is saying in verse 19 is simply this, I love you, I want the best for you, so when I tell you where you're off the rails, don't sit down like my son likes to do because he learned it from his dad, but you put your head down and you pout and you mope. He's saying, be quick to respond and repent because I love you. 
Trust in me and my love for you. I remember as a kid being disciplined and thinking my parents hated me. They just don't love me. It's funny how that's the first lie that we believe, right? They just don't love me. No, they love me, which is why I'm being disciplined. Because I want them to honor God with their lives. And the same goes for you and me today. When there's correction, when scripture is, is reading me and revealing in me where I'm lukewarm and I feel the conviction and the sting of this truth. Jesus' hope is that I would respond quickly saying, God, forgive me, you're right, I've done this. I've not trusted in you. I've tried to make my own way. I'm, I'm doing my own desire, my own will, my finances. I'm, I'm wanting to pursue my own things. God, forgive me. He said, it's, it's trust in my love and respond quickly because I want to stay in community and relationship with you. I want my best for you. Remember the authority he has been given as the amen. And he says this in verse 20. He says, see, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears me and they, were, and they, they open the door, I will come into him, eat with him, and he with me. In Jewish culture, sharing a meal is a very intentional thing. Jesus, who grew up in this culture, was painting a very clear picture, not of, of demanding forcefulness, but of gracious patience. See, Laodicea was not just a rich community because of its position, but it was also favored by the Roman government to where Roman soldiers would show up and they'd burst through doors and say, hey, I'm in charge now, you feed me, you give me the best bed, you have no choice in the matter because if you say no to me, I'll take you out and I'll beat you. I'll embarrass you and humiliate you in front of all of the city. Roman soldiers could force their way in. And Jesus is painting a contrast in verse 20 saying, hey, see, I stand at the door and I knock and I wait for you to respond. Verse 21 talks about being more than conquerors. In, sense, in essence, just a picture of enduring till, the, until eternity. Will those who endure and stay faithful will have a seat at the right hand, or not at the right hand, but they have a seat with Jesus in eternity. It's a call to remember our, an eternal perspective, not a temporary perspective. But the question I have to ask you today is where are you drifting? And will you recognize it quickly? Repent and return to Jesus and say, here I am, keep me on the rails. Because at the end of the day, if I'm sitting in that seat and someone else is saying this very same thing to me, I'm taking it to heart, I'm trying to, is that I can't do this life that Jesus is calling me, calling me to without him. I can't do it. I can't be the dad, the husband, the father. I can't be the pastor or the leader or the community member or the neighbor. I can't do what God is calling me to and honoring him apart from Jesus. And the warning we have to heed from Revelation chapter three today is what's causing you to drift. Will you be quick to repent? It means repent is a picture of turning 180 and going the opposite direction and return back to Jesus because he's standing at that door and knocking. There are things in our lives that we place as priority over Jesus. What's it for you today? And will you respond quickly and turn back to Jesus? Because he's standing at that door ready to receive and have dinner with you and spend time with you and maintain that relationship with you.
So what is that today? I'm going to pray for you. God, I don't know every heart in this room. I don't know every situation, every circumstance, every challenge, every hurdle. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that you do. And Lord, for many of us in the room, this is not just a coincidental or time, it's a timely message. And so God, I pray in this very moment, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us those very things that are causing us to drift off the rails, where we are relying and trusting in our own understanding, in our own accomplishments, in our own abilities. And God, I pray you would call us back to you, that we would find peace, that we would find hope, that we would find trust in you and you alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.